Welcome to episode 50 of the Ski Podcast. That's one podcast, nearly one podcast, for every year of Ian Martin's life. Uh, hmm. The podcast is supported by Switzerland Tourism. Why, you may ask? It's because it's the best skiing country in the world. Verbier, Zermatt, Crans Montana, Grindelwald, Samaritz, some of the biggest names in ski resorts. Put it this way, there's so much skiing in Switzerland you'd never get bored. Unlike New Zealanders, where the entire skiing of New Zealand would just fit into Zermatt alone. There you go. Is that a true fact? Um, yeah, I uh, added some numbers up and I assume it's a true fact. I've not had it um, corroborated by oh, yeah. um, an official group of people. Well, we deliver loads of facts in this podcast that subsequently uh, prove to be uh, a bit dubious. But uh, anyway, good morning, Jim. Good morning. Um, don't forget to get in touch with the show. If you're listening, you can email us, jim at the ski podcast or ian at the ski podcast. Find us on Twitter at the ski podcast. We're on Facebook as well. And then obviously you can get us on uh, Instagram at the average skier or ian at skipedia on Twitter. Coming up today's show, I'm going to be testing out the ski area. Son Luke Ian has been trekking in the Pyrenees. We have some pointers for people heading to Bulgaria, and I will reveal the most average ski resorts in the world. First of all, Ian, let's talk about snow. Have um, you got any snow in um, Brighton? No, been throwing it down with rain almost uh, non-stop, but no snow here. But out in the Alps where you are, bit of a different story, right? Well, do you know what I was actually wondering? Um, if I could be bothered um, to find out the makeup or work out the fact of how deep the snow would be if um, if we counted the rain that has fallen this winter, it would probably be pretty deep. Um, but I don't have that uh, information. Yep, it snowed quite a lot um, up high. Um, there's been meters and meters of snow. Um, yeah, Snowmageddon 2020 uh, is a mini Snowmageddon this year, I think. But there's still loads more to come. But then again, it has been raining under. 1,200, I think it's been raining up to 2,000 last night. It's a crazy season. Yeah, those temperatures bouncing around uh, um, quite a lot. In fact, Dave mentioned that um, when he was on the last episode of the podcast. Talking of which, I should say, this is episode 50, so I think we should give ourselves a bit of a small round of applause for getting this far <laughs> over the last... Uh, I've lost track of how many years it is, two and a half or something like that. I will intercut a um, sound effect clip of applause right now. <laughs> Although, to be fair, this is actually looking in the audio boom. We've, this is our 67th episode, possibly, with all the specials and the Winter Olympics ones and things like that. But officially, number 50. 50 uh, main show. Well done, us. Yeah. Uh, Dave, I didn't say anything about it at the time when he was talking about it on the show. I think because I was being polite, but he was going... I think it's because you wanted uh, to go skiing in. <laughs> he was going, um, oh, you know, some years you get a lot of snow and some years you don't get that much. And it sounded a bit like he was a climate change denier. Um, you know... The fact is that change of temperatures that you're talking about, you know, when it goes, well, it's been leaping 20 degrees on one day. And I should have chipped in about it then as well, that, uh, you know, you've got to accept the fact that the climate is changing and we, we see global warming in the mountains. And also, I didn't pick you up on your uh, comment saying, oh, it's fine, you know, using a helicopter to shift snow. And um, you think of all the jobs it's protecting. I mean, I would say that's a false economy, you know, Using a helicopter to move snow to protect jobs that have no future in the uh, in the medium term, it's a pointless exercise. So there you go. I'm saying it two weeks late. 
But you know, uh, do you not think that um, just picking on one resort for using a helicopter isn't really the answer? I mean, that's the equivalent of saying that my Argentinian um, uh, avocados that have been <laughs> flown across the world have got some netting on it. The, the, the idea is you've just got to stop buying avocados if your problem is that that's causing climate change, right? But isn't isn't what you're saying there rather like this uh, resort? Um, I can't actually recall what it's uh, called now, but in the uh, Massif Central that's gone into receivership because they haven't had enough snow this year, they haven't had enough uh, people buying lift passes, and so therefore, you know, they're going out of business or they're going into receivership. You know, ultimately, you get to a point where people don't go skiing, and therefore, you know, it, it, that ski resort will close. Oh, this is very um, let the markets decide um, attitude, isn't it, Ian? Well, uh, you know, I think to a certain degree. But in this in this it, particular it, it case is. of the helicopter, right? They had all the staff <clears throat> employed. The people needed their jobs. It was the busy week. People were going to come, so they put the helicopter in. You know, um, it obviously contributed to climate. Um, you know, putting fuel into the atmosphere and stuff like that. But then, so does driving to resort, going skiing. That all contributes. But in the short term, you know, it did save those people's jobs, giving them more chance to find employment later on. Well, I have to say that's a very convincing uh, argument there, Jim. You've put it put it uh, very well, although you did say about getting to resort. I'll just chip in skiflightfree.org, uh, alternative ways of getting to the Alps. I should we'll point get a donkey. out, though... We talk donkeys. <laughs> yeah. One thing that Dave did say, he was saying, oh, why don't they put solar panels um, on lifts? And I couldn't really think of any good reason why not um you know i'm struggling around but i noticed as i was reading um around about the subject that there is a um the world's first drag lift to be 100 percent solar power powered at tenor in switzerland and it has tilting panels hanging above its 450 meter length so it does the technology does exist and it is possible so um, it's a very good point, Dave, and I think more ski resorts should be looking into that. There must be a reason why there aren't more, but um, you know, evidently it's possible to run a lift um, with solar power. And also what they really need is um, they need more people who aren't skiing to go up the mountain at the same time. So um, they would go up, they would enjoy the mountain, and then they would come down on the chairlift, introducing a small um, funicular factor by using a counterweight so those people would increase <laughs> the pull down, um, decreasing the use of energy. I did wonder, actually, Ian, and I, I, I want to find this out, and if you can tell me who we can ask, do chairlifts use less energy when there's no one on them? Because, you know, you see them, like yesterday, I'm pretty sure there were chairlifts turning up the road with no one on them in the rain do they need more power when I'm sat on them or not? That's a good question. I, I would imagine they must uh, need more power. What I did discover when I went to see uh, Les Arts back in December is that over there they run, when it's a kind of low volume day, they actually slow down the chairlifts so they're not running them as fast if there's fewer people on the mountain as a way of uh, uh, using less energy. But whether uh, or not... That's just mean. <laughs> Well, I did think that, you know, like uh, they're still paying the same price for lift pass, but then I don't know if you think you queue less, so therefore your skiing time might be the same or whether they just slow them down uh, on a sort of imperceptible level to the clients. But actually, just by slowing them down by a small percentage, they end up, uh, you know, saving a lot of energy. Well, I'll tell you what, the pain of it the other day, on Wednesday, I went out 
Um, I got up, uh, it was snowing quite heavily, but we thought we'd go and play in the trees, but it was still quite windy. Um, and what normally would be a seven minute cable car ride was taking around about 20, 25 minutes because they slowed it down so much because of the wind. And, you know, that was, it, it was quite frustrating in a way. I was pleased I was safe. Yeah, and at least they ran it because uh, obviously, you know, I've been looking on uh, Twitter and, um, you know, I do some work for the Three Valleys and uh, you see people complaining, going, why are the lifts not open? <laughs> you know, when the avalanche uh, dangers, you know, gone up to four out of five uh, and uh, they're, you know, talking about why is it only the lower lifts around, the lift bars are so expensive, etc. But they don't necessarily think about uh, How expensive the... their life is. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. But yeah, sometimes lifts do close in high winds, so I'd be I'd be happy if it went even at slow speed. We did get a double powder day actually. Um, so Wednesday it was nice, played in the trees. Thursday got up early to get um, got the lifts before anyone else. Um, obviously, loads of people did that. It wasn't just me thinking I'd, I'd, I'd I've worked out the secret. But um, we got there um, and it, we were in the queue for an hour because it didn't they didn't open for for security reasons. Then it opened, we skied, but they didn't open the second half of La Balm in La Clusa. And we thought, oh, are they going to open it? And I was like, eventually I had to go skiing with my children because it's half term. But that was nice anyway. They got buried in a lot of powder. It was really deep. They were tried to explain to them how deep it was, like you need a snorkel for your size. Um, but so they, they kept half of the, the, the higher slopes closed and they didn't open them. And then the next day they opened at eight o'clock in the morning so you could go up and get a second day if you were keen enough to get fresh tracks, which I quite liked, and I did do. Eight in the morning, that, that is very exciting, yeah. Although I'm slightly concerned about your children kind of needing snorkels to go skiing. Um, they're obviously yeah, good, good to short, yeah, and, uh, and good skiers. Uh, they're all right skiers, yeah. I mean, they're no, they're no experts. Yes, right. maybe they will be. Who knows? <laughs> right, let's let's move on. That's that chat yep. about snow. Um, right, uh, let me have a look at the notes here. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I just wanted to say, in um, I've got a really important fact um, for you, and um, as you know, I'm a super scientist, and I just want to say that skiing actually cures coronavirus. Um, right, so I've been. Uh, do you fancy listening to me skiing in San Luc? Yeah, definitely. This is day four of my uh, Swiss Magic Pass Odyssey along the Rhone Valley in there. This is day four of my Swiss Magic Pass Odyssey. I find myself in the Val d'Anneur. Weather isn't as great as it has been all week, but let's not let that put me off. I've got a lot to be happy about. I'm currently stood at the front of a very empty funicular. And it's a very steep funicular. I've been on quite a few. I've even been on the steepest funicular in the world, listeners. Um, it's uh, almost as steep as that, I'm going to say. And if you think that's steep, then running right next to it is a black piece that brings you back down to the parking area. Um, I can see it's been heavily, heavily groomed and um, a lot of fake snow on it. Um, well, you know, man-made snow. 
and I'm weighing up whether I will come back on it, which is um, something I never thought I'd say. I mean, it looks incredibly steep. I'll uh, send a photo. Anyway, um, let's find out what the guys from the tourist office have recommended for me to do. Jim. No, I have to tell you, I love, I love to see um, different, different ski resorts. And um, as I told you here, Sonic Chandon area is perfect if you want to, to ski with big sand and uh, good slopes. Not too steep, but with a lot of, uh, of variability of, uh, of slopes. And it's really cool if you want to just rest at the restaurant, the huts and the terraces. Mm. You have the beautiful view on the, on the Matterhorn, on the, the, the Imperial Crown with the, the 4,000 4, meters peaks. And um, then you have Grimanzinal, it's also nice in the Val d'Anivie because it's, uh, it's more engaging, a little bit steeper and, um, and, uh, and biggest, it's a big area. And uh, I love skiing in Grimanzinal. And then you have Vercourin, which is a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. but perfect for families, for uh, if you have small children, uh, it's, it's, perfect. it's a perfect area. Not so big and uh, also very convivial. I guess the, the free ski resorts here in the Val d'Anivie are very convivial and, and nice to ski. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it can, can, can happen that I, <laughs> I go up for, out from the Val d'Anivie to go in Overna or other, go in Cormontana. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Magic Pass, it's, it's really cool to, to discover all, to all, the, all the ski resorts. Yeah. It's nice not to have to queue to get a new lift pass every time, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, walk exactly. Just walking. And, uh, it makes me smile every time. Like, oh, different yeah. No one's checked. And important in summer and in winter, like yeah. for both seasons, you just yeah, you just have your pass pass with you and don't think to go to the t- to the tail and uh, wait some some time. No, no, you have your pass. That's uh, that's really nice. So here in San Luke, where we are, we got the funicular and it opens out to a, a a pretty interesting ski area, I think. And I think it's almost confusing in some ways because the map doesn't seem to really justify the expanse of the area it seems to look smaller and I've been trying to work out what I would say in the podcast about the area and I think it's just surprising because you know many resorts you sit on a chairlift and you you go up and on the way up you can see all the runs that you're probably going to do exactly whereas here (laughs) you're on a drag lift and it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere and for the first time you're like I don't really understand where I'm going and then you get to the top and these incredible runs appear. It's really surprising. Is that, is that a good su- summary? That's very interesting what you say because I'm so used to take this funicular. I know where I'm going and uh, yeah, I'm not so surprised. But for someone who comes for the first time mm. and take the funicular from the village and then yeah, you arrive just in the middle of nowhere, it's, uh, it, can be, it can be surprising. It's very interesting what you're saying. Because most because results are really dominant in exactly. front of you when you get there and you can go, oh, I can do that one, I can do that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go around the corner and you understand it. Or is this one? Yeah. The, um, the, the furthest track's on the, the right-hand side. I'm terrible with names. Of yeah, the call. Yeah. But you're going at that and as you go up, there's no runs anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pas de boeuf, yeah. Yeah, the pas de boeuf. Exactly. Um, I think that's the strength here because you can go really a really large, yeah, large ski area, and uh, and and be really in the wilderness, like like in nowhere, and uh, and that's cool. I think to just take the slope and you don't know where you are going, and you discover that the that the ski area is going very very large, and um, and here you are in Saint Luc, but you can also ski in Chandonnet. Maybe you you try you try this, and it's also a large area because you can go from the Hillhorn to the Pas de Boeuf. It's very very large. Right then, listener, I thought you might actually like to come on a run with me. Uh, 
Are you ready? Let's go. Ooh. You may be wondering, what's the point of this? All I can hear is the wind and you shouting. Well, the point is that I'm having an awful lot of fun in this resort and I thought you might like to join in. Woohoo! The truth is, I'm a bit sad I've got to finish skiing now. The lifts are about to close. I'm really hungry. My legs are super tired. But I just don't want to stop. And I haven't recorded anything else. Oh! Uh, and that was that. Our best, uh, best get off the mountain. So, yeah, I was really enjoying it. Um, and I have actually got round to reviewing the resort. And I'm going to tell you my review now, ready? Ready, Ian? Yeah. It was, it was so much fun. Uh, it was a town. It's a town perched on the side of the mountain. Um, you can't see the slopes from the town, which is I always find a bit strange. But you can see um, across the Val d'Anniver. Um, you can see Grements and Zinal in the distance. Um, San Luke is. Um, it's got sixty kilometres of beast, but it doesn't doesn't feel like it. And this is the key thing. Um, it's got a funicular which pleases me massively. Um, has quite a long season. It's three thousand twenty-five metres high. It has some of the best snow in the area. It's fifty-eight chuffs for a day, two hundred and fifty chuffs for the season. But the skiing in, it was so absorbing. Right, you know, you hmm. go to some resorts and you just feel like you're turning on a big wide run or you're concentrating a bit on what you're doing um, or you get obsessed by something or you're going somewhere. This place was like a little magical wonderland where I just felt like I was lost <laughs> but having fun all the time. Like, you look around and you go, I can't understand where all these runs are. And then you catch one and you get a glimpse of another one in the distance. Great. Or, um, and the, sorry, does this link in with the Grimentzi now area as well? No, it doesn't link. You've got to drive to Grimentz. Right. It's quite a long way. But when you I get went to, to San Luke in the, in the summer on my um, trail running trip with, uh, with Switzerland Tourism. Um, hard to imagine, I guess, what, it is, what it's like in, in winter. We kind of ran underneath some of the lifts. But clearly a good one to go to. It's really good. I mean, I got there, I thought, this is going to be rubbish. It's full of drag lifts, right? But every time I got to the drag lift, I felt like I was genuinely rewarded for the persistence of catching a really long drag lift. <laughs> and all the runs are just really engaging. And you kind of forget about skiing in a way. You, you are just in the moment enjoying oh. each of these runs, which Excellent. I think is a different experience. I don't often find and, that and happens. <clears throat> last year, I think I'm right in saying that you went to Grimentz, did you? So you skied yeah, Because this is both the Val Danivier, is it? Val Danivier. Yeah, yeah, for, up from Sion. So on the other side of the valley, you've got uh, Cron Montana. And then, you know, on the south-facing side of the valley, you've got San Luc and, uh, and Grimentz. Yeah, done well. And that was on your Magic Pass as well, was it? That was on my Magic Pass. You can ski there on a Magic Pass. I wouldn't ski it in flat light. You probably wouldn't enjoy it. It's quite barren. Yeah. But as soon as that sun comes out, it's amazing. I must talk about the accommodation as well, Ian. Um, oh, yeah. I stayed in the most amazing hotel I've ever stayed in. It was called the Hotel <laughs> Bella Toll. Um, I was hosted by this um, complete character called Anne-Francois Favre. And um, she is a proper old school hotelier. You know, the sort of person <laughs> that welcomes you, comes to your table every night to meet you. 
Um, it's a boutique hotel. They've developed it over years. They've got a little chalet that they run down the road. Um, the wine they served is from the, um, from the kids. Uh, they're one of their nieces and nephews. Uh, right. And so if you're going to go to San Luke, and I, I genuinely, it should be on everyone's list. Okay. Not I just, I just go- Googled it. I see it's a family run. Family, oh wow, it looks uh, looks great. Yeah, aren't you uh, the lucky one? <laughs> the food, the food was outstanding. Like, definitely go. One of her daughters yeah. works on the world tour, and she promised um, she'd come and talk to us um, about her experience oh, yeah. on that. And cool. also, when I was there, I spoke to Julien um, from uh, the Anivers Marketing um, Company, so the tourist office, and he came up. Yeah, and he was very interested to chat to me because, well, he was on the recording we just played. Um, he, they've just started a podcast series for the Valde Annivers themselves, right? Interviewing okay. people like um, uh, Anne Francois. So, okay, so, well, I always think that's a, a sorry. Good there's idea. an observatory, Ian. <laughs> right. They've got an observatory there's, there. They've got everything. <laughs> well, I have my own trip to uh, Switzerland coming up soon. Um, thanks to, to Switzerland Tourism, our, our sponsor of the podcast. I'm off to two resorts. I'm going to Arosa and Andermatt. So they're in a different area of Switzerland uh, from you know where you've been along the uh, Valais. Um, I'll be going by train, so I'm going to Eurostar to Paris, down to Basel, and then you know picking up internal Swiss railways, so everything will be bang on time, uh, hopefully. And uh, Arosa, never been there before, um, meant to be a reasonable ski area. There's a, a new, well, a hotel there that has Strong sustainable credentials. So I'm going to check that out, and then I'm going to Andermatt to uh, do a bit. Are of... you checking it out? Or are you staying at it? I am staying at it uh, for one night. Yes, and then I'm I going thought, to I Andermatt. Wondered, are, you, are you checking it out? But you're actually staying at the coal-powered um, hotel, just rather. <laughs> right. No. Uh, and then yeah, hopefully a bit of off-piste in Andermatt um, with a guide. So we'll see how that goes. Um, looking forward to that and. I was actually at Switzerland's summer launch uh, in London this week, which um, you know was it was a bit bloody sorry, cold. Sorry, they, they're launching Switzerland in London. Oh, that's a bit confusing. <laughs> well, they're launching their it's summer Switzerland's summer pretty, program. Pretty well established. Yeah, all of the you know different things you could do. We there was a kind of quiz thing, which um, my team were lucky enough to win a um, a bottle of wine for our efforts, and it basically revolved around fake news they had a whole bunch of different news items and you had to guess whether they were true or false and they were to do with switzerland so i'm going to test you jim are you ready for this i haven't given any pre-warning okay, i am a first... Swiss, i am a switzerland tourism expert i mean i, I struggle I... to say the name but i do know a lot about yeah. switzerland okay first one then um the true. all resorts will fit into new zealand um, the the Swiss yodeling championships will take place in Basel this summer. Uh, true. It is true. Apparently 12,000 people are going to take part. It's the 31st Swiss yodeling festival and it's at the end of June if you want to go there. Um, second one. Um, Lint Chocolate um, are celebrating the 175th anniversary this year. They're going to have a new shop uh, in Zurich called the Lint Home of Chocolate. And in the foyer, they're going to have a chocolate fountain that is eight metres high. Do you think that's true? Um, I think it's false. There is going to be a chocolate fountain, but it's not eight metres high. Otherwise, it'd be a waste of time you saying all that. 
<laughs> well, there you go. I led you into it. Is eight meters high? Eight meters oh, high. Well. Chocolate fountain. My daughter is very. She says, "Can we go? Can we go? Can we go?" I don't know what it makes it. I can't remember visualizing a scene from um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or something. Okay, Nothing fine. will stem the rise of coronavirus more than a massive eight-meter <laughs> shared chocolate <laughs> fountain. Yeah. Okay, and then this one um, in the Engadin Valley. Um, you can do uh, cow yoga. To uh, it's been proven to help with relaxation and to de-stress. Um, I want it to be true, but it's probably false. <laughs> You're correct; it is false. But you can do goat yoga. <laughs> really, practicing yoga with goats is a real thing and proven to help with relaxation and to de-stress in the Engadin Valley. Why uh, can't you do it with cows? Surely it's the same thing. You're just doing yoga well, near an animal. Yeah, that's what it says. And they've got a picture of a goat in the foreground. There's people doing yoga in the background. So, so there you go. Cat yoga. <laughs> do you? Just there doing a downward dog and then a cat jumps on my back. You know, it's, it makes it less re, less relaxing, um, but my reactions are, are definitely quicker as it digs its claws into my back. Yeah, probably not something you're going to have with goat, goat yoga. So there you go. Things what? to look no, forward to. Goats climb on your back. They're mountain goats. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't in the picture either. <laughs> You've got to maintain that position while the goat also. I bet the goats are pretty good at yoga anyway, aren't they? Yeah, um, well, there we go. That's uh, that's <laughs> an exciting. Anything else from the Switzerland um, launch? The launch of Switzerland, the new country. Uh, well, um, there were loads and loads of things, but those, those are the, the those are the salient uh, points. Yeah, and um, they're definitely going to sponsor us next year. They said, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> that's what they said. That's all the meeting was about. Yeah, that would be the sensible decision. Or they're launching their own podcast. Um, hey, let's move uh, back to France now, and we'll go right to the the, the south of France, where we'll find the Pyrenees. Okay, yeah, um, I think I was um, expecting Bulgaria to be next, but that's fine. Pyrenees. No, I went last time we spoke. I was out there. Uh, we had a few days skiing. Snow wasn't particularly good, but we had a good time. Uh, but on the final day, we had uh, like a you know, half a day and we decided not to ski and went up to the national park there called the Pont de Span. Uh, and it is absolutely beautiful. We had, we went with a guide who took us through the forest, definitely away from the, uh, the beaten track. There is literally a beaten track that you can walk up to a frozen lake up there. And yeah, it was just glorious. And um, I'll stick some photos in the show notes so you can see them on um, Skipedia on Facebook. But... Um, you know, we'd never be able to get the kids to go for a walk normally. But um, we walked up to this um, Lac de Gobe, which is completely frozen over. Slightly thinner ice than normal, so you couldn't walk across it. But just, a, you know, a beautiful way to spend some time in the mountains. And as Dave uh, observed, uh, you know, in our last episode, episode 49, very accurately, you know, I just, I'm very happy to, like, I love skiing, uh, but I love being in the mountains and just uh, you know being with nature and if you're that sort of person listener then you would really enjoy going up to the Pont de Span from Cotteret in the French Pyrenees you can get buses up there and uh, and go into the park and uh, you know just walk with snowshoes normally if there was more snow or just uh, you know regular shoes just beautiful I mean looking on the map the Pont uh, de Span seems to be quite a long way from Spain does it? I'm, my impression was Spain is on the other side of uh, the park. It's the it's the Pont de Span, the bridge. 
of Spain. It's the bridge between France and Spain. I think if you went along that valley. Uh, yeah, I mean, it looks, you know, I suppose it's quite a long walk. I was just expecting it literally to be right next door, but there we go. Um, uh, that's my issue with cartography done. Um, what's, uh, anything else to tell me about that? Um, not particularly. I just, you know, recommend it as a mix. I mean, if you're going to somewhere like Cauteray, where there, you've only got, I think, 35 kilometres of uh, slopes. I mean, we also skied over in Grand Tourmalet, which is a 45-minute drive away. Um, and, you know, there are 100 kilometres of slopes over there, you know, a lot more skiing. But, you know, mi mix it up. I think that, um, you know, in the absence of, you know, some good ski touring, which is what I normally like to do, uh, you know, this is a great way to kind of get away from it all and, and get a bit of nature. And if you're not into the walking, there is actually a little chairlift that you can go up and then walk up to the lake if you've got younger children or Did you or just need relatives. walking boots, welly boots, or did you have rackets on? There wasn't enough snow for rackets, so we just had uh, normal walking shoes, yeah. Fine. Good. Well, there we go. Our children like walking. I've managed to convince them that they enjoy it. Um, I have to lie to them about something that's going to happen at the top. Normally involves Harry Bow. Um, there's a Harry Bow shop at the top of that mountain. Oh, wasn't there last time, Dad. It's definitely there now. Um, right. Let's um, go to Bulgaria next. God, this is a, a country-wide, um, a, a worldwide travel show isn't it um bulgaria um i've been uh there a few times um last time i was there i spoke to gary who is a rep also very excitingly you know meet many gary's these days um i'm my middle name's gary my dad's called gary i mean call it my middle name is gary i mean how little did they care about that or what should we do gary it's like they gave up at least it's got to be Tarquin or something like that there's a point of a middle name it's got to be really embarrassing in an outlandish way not just Gary. Anyway, I met a Gary. He was a rep with Balkan Holidays. Here's what he told me about winning when you're on a ski holiday in Patsco. Quick fire questions. You've been here quite a while. You know the resort? Boom, boom, boom. Uh, 26 years. 26 years. Mm -hmm. So you know everything. You're the expert. Well, uh, allegedly. Allegedly. Right, let's go. <laughs> um, I'm going to Patsco. What hotel should I choose? Uh, first choice, mm, probably Stragity because of its location in the resort on the main Pyrrhine Street. That's where I'm uh, staying. Yeah, yeah. Um, you like it? Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, good four-star hotel. Um, very, very short walk to the Gondol Station. Can't go wrong. Um, second choice, probably Hotel Bansko. Again, on the main Pyrrhine Street, just a little bit further down. Uh, and Hotel Mora as well are good options. Uh, but you can choose your star ratings and, uh, and pay the appropriate price. Excellent. Um, uh, what's it like to get to the slopes in the morning? Very easy. Uh, most of Mansco is not particularly spread out, but obviously there's local shuttle buses from each and every hotel uh, running every half an hour. That's always an option. Uh, otherwise, uh, short walk to the Gondola Station, again, up the main street. I can confirm the walk is very reasonable. <laughs> Compared to all the resorts, yeah, yeah, definitely. What is the best slope for beginners? Top of the main gondola. Um, it's a huge plateau area. There's uh, a T-bar up there and a main cable drag, etc. But the area is huge, so it gives a massive scope for lots of groups um, to be spread out and have their own space and hopefully not do the zagging and zigging thing. That's important. It's nice to learn without being fearful of others. Absolutely. And also no major slopes passing them as well, which obviously can you know, worry people when they're learning. You know, People going fast pace, it's not, not the best thing, so... 
Um, anyone doing some research on coming to Bansko or who has been here would have spoken to someone who says that the queue in the morning to get on the tally cabin is huge. What are your top tips for avoiding this? If you're a group of two or four, take a taxi to the top gondola station, which is actually quicker than getting on the gondola. You can be there at 8.30 when the main lifts open and you'll get first tracks on the new snow. And how do you get one of these magical um, uh, fast track passes? Um, that's a facility offered by the resort. And it's generally only through bulk of holidays. Um, it's not a service we can guarantee on a weekly basis because there are certain activities and events that happen during the season. So generally on a weekly basis, it's included with the pre-booked lift card. Okay, right. Um, how do I win at Eating on the Mountain? Uh, to be honest, it, everything's standardised on the mountain. If you go in one restaurant and going in another, the prices are all pretty much the same. Now, if you're going to make a fair comparison between Bulgaria and other European resorts, Bulgaria is extremely cheap. We're talking eating for a maximum of like 15 or 20 euros, and that's at least two courses with drinks. Um, if you want to make it cheaper, then on the way down, there are a couple of private restaurants, but they're on, just on the ski road. So basically when you're coming down to the bottom of the mountain. Um, how do I go about Apre skiing in Bansko? Apre is a huge choice. There's so many bars and restaurants to go to. I think on average that we did a statistic of restaurants you could eat in a different restaurant in Bansko every night for the next three months. There's so many to choose from. Um, go out. Obviously try and do some research before you come to the resort. Use Google Maps, find out the best location of restaurants and bars that are close to your hotel. Try them once, but don't go every every night. There's so much choice and it's all still very, very reasonably priced. And I'm guessing if you really want to find out the best bars, you just jump on a bar crawl. Does anyone organise one of them? I think Balkan Holidays do one of those, sir. Yes, they do. Um, I love meeting guests at the end of the week, and even if they did or didn't get involved in other activities during the course of the week, they say, oh, the bar crawl was the best night of a holiday, because you're socialising, you're meeting people that you don't know, and uh, making friends. Yeah. Um, I know there's quite a few different things you can do other than skiing and apres skiing and eating, so what's the best way I can make the most of the non-ski activities on offer here? Non-ski, you should go uh, book a hotel with really good facilities, but you can walk into any hotel that's got heated pools, uh, spa facilities, um, close to the resort of Bansko there's an activity outdoor centre. Even last night we went out the resort just for on a, on a three hour round trip. Uh, we were on an alpine roller coaster. Wow. For instance. Yeah, just across the valley. It's literally 35 minutes on the bus. And you and me are personally going together to hang out in our swim shorts later on in a hot spa. We, we are doing the, the big soak this afternoon. Natural hot springs all around this area of Bansko. And some of the towns have been built specifically around those hot springs. And the one we go to this afternoon is called Banya, which means in Bulgarian bath. Um, it's a hot spring town, basically. Yeah. Um, what you need to bear in mind is that the water supply is also connected to the fresh water supply because the water is so hot when it comes out of the ground, it needs to be mixed with cold. Um, if you walk up and down the street, there is um, uh, lots of options to get money. What is the best way to get a good exchange rate here? It seems to be a big, hot topic. As long as your local bank charges from your bank account don't charge you, go to the ATM. But a Go. bank ATM, not... A bank ATM. Um, and finally, top three phrases in Bulgarian that will help my holiday. Uh, please, molya. 
Molya. Molya. But that also means, excuse me. Okay. And uh, pardon me. And um, could I have your attention? All right. So it's a multi-use word. But Molya is the nearest thing to saying please in Bulgarian. Molya. Um, someone stops you in the street and you don't want to be bothered by a promoter or a PR or whatever, just say ne merci, the French word. Ah. Yes. It means no thanks. Perfect. Yeah. Ne merci. I can do ne that one. Ne merci. Oh, yeah. I'm done with that. Oh. And finally, yes. um, and obviously I need to be polite. How do I say thank you? Merci. Merci? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. You don't need to do it with the French twang. Um, the Bulgarians use the word for mercy because their own word, which is blaguldaria, means thank you very much in polite form, and they very rarely use it themselves because it's a long word. Well, So, so mercy works everywhere for pretty much everything. Gary, merci. <laughs> You're welcome, sir. So, yeah, that was Gary. I travelled with... Um, I'll try that again. Um, so, that was Gary, uh, the Balkan Holidays rep who I travelled with. Um, not... Gary, obviously, I travelled with Balkan Holidays. Um, to find out what I thought about the resort, you can listen to episode 48. And if you're going, then I suggest that you go and check out the holidays that balkanholidays.co.uk has on their website. They've got a nice range. Uh, cool. Can, has- I, can I, can I've got a question. Can I come back to your Gary middle name? <laughs> yeah, sure. You, I recently noticed, you know, amongst the festivals that may or may not still be going ahead in the Alps, we, there's one called Zermatt, Un, um, Zermatt Unplugged. Uh, happening in Zermatt right at the end of the season. I'd be annoying uh, if you'd written a whole blog about that and then <laughs> suddenly, suddenly they cancelled yeah, the event. Yeah, funny that. Well, anyway, Dido is playing at that event. And um, I was just doing a bit, of, a bit of fact-checking about Dido. And you think, well, that's an unusual name. But her given name is Dido Florian Cloud de Bunvial O'Malley Armstrong. So, that's the sort of effort I expect. <laughs> that's, you know, I was thinking about that with your Gary. She, if only she'd been Dido Gary Armstrong, that would have been just more entertaining. Dido Cat. <laughs> uh, Zerma Unplugged. I'll, I'll stick a link uh, in the show notes uh, to to that. Um, got any reviews, um, Jim? Looks like there's just one, Ian. Um, am I right, or is there more? Have I not um, read the carefully prepared notes that you sent? Well, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't find any more. So, listener, if you're listening to this show and you are enjoying it, pop onto you know Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give us a review because it generally helps other people find it. Plus, it gives us something to read at this point in the show. But um, you've got one there. What do they say, Jim? Uh, it's Jack um, Gary Hennessy. And he says he really enjoyed <laughs> listening to the pod on Spotify as a first-timer. There you go. That's a great review. I think it's an email, wasn't it? It was. I think he also said he couldn't leave a review on Spotify. So uh, Spotify a... um, designers, if you're there, then maybe you should add that in as a as an option. Um, also, last week, Ian, we did um, talk about the fact that we've got um, a trip planned in march where you can come and ski with podcasters like us and um march 2021 made march 2021 yeah next yeah. march um and we've had quite a few people who are interested in coming so um don't feel like be the only person so if you do want to come on the podcast ski trip um to morjan in the port de soleil with us uh, in march next year do email us and we'll put you on the list and contact you once it's all decided upon so yeah and everyone obviously who emailed in to say that they want to come on the trip did also say how much they love the podcast right okay that's good to hear um i believe that you you have had this theory for quite some time 
about the you've been you've been plugging this one the most average of all ski resorts now to me that sounds like a bit of a it's a bit of a negative slur isn't it being an average ski resort or is there more to it than that um uh, it's all based on numbers i tell you what first of all let's um the person who did the research for us because i'm too lazy to do it myself was <laughs> dave froom from if you oh yeah um yeah. so Dave, he can tell us exactly um, what the resort is and how we found out about it. Thanks, Jim. Uh, yeah, this is David at If You Ski. Um, and I have come up with the world's most average ski resort. Um, the process for finding it wasn't particularly thrilling. Uh, needless to say, it involved going through our database. And uh, what I did do was uh, come up with the four most important questions that people ask when booking a ski holiday. Um, for me, they are how many kilometres of piste does the ski area have? What's the village height? What's the top station? Um, how many lifts and how many pistes? And the averages for all of those are around 100 kilometres of piste is uh, is the average ski area. Of course, some go um, go to 1,000 kilometres of piste, the Dolomiti Super Ski in Italy, for example. And uh, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of smaller resorts with, uh, with much smaller... Um, kilometres apiece. Uh, village height, um, the average village height for a worldwide ski resort is 1,200 metres. The average top station, 2,700. 16 lifts and 23 pistes. And the resort that comes the closest to ticking all of those boxes at the same time is in fact Cormayeur in Italy. Um, Cormayeur is in the Aosta Valley. It's right next to the French border on the other side of Mont Blanc from Chamonix. It's a charming Italian town with cobbled streets, um, some nice old hotels and a decent sized ski area, as I say, of just over 100 kilometres. So that was Dave explaining that Cormayeur is the most average ski resort. Have you been to um, Cormayeur, Ian? Yeah, I've been there a few times. Yeah, I've been there for the um, City Ski Championships when they were held there. I can't remember where they're held now. Verbier, maybe, or Cromontana, possibly. Uh, but went there a few years for that. In fact... Uh... Hi, I just need to stop you there for a minute, Ian. This is Jim in the future, talking to Jim and Ian in the past when they recorded this podcast. I'd just like to point out that before we recorded this, there was... Um, Lots of skiing going on in Italy. Unfortunately, now we know that coronavirus has spread a bit and that the, um, the Italian resorts are shut at least until the 3rd or 4th of April. So I just want to bear that in mind. I mean, I've not said anything really bad. I'm just saying that we recorded this before we knew that Italy wouldn't be um, able to ski. So if you wanted to go and ski this particularly average resort, um, you can't for at least uh, a month or maybe not till next year. Back to you, Ian. Uh, you carry on with your story. With a Natives team that involved, uh, also included uh, John Tregell, James Gambrell, who's the organiser of Listex, John Tregell, who's the author of uh, Shan, who we interviewed in the previous episode, and, and another chap called Phil Martin, who used to work for me. We won, no relation, the, right? parallel, we won the parallel slalom, much to the annoyance of um, Lloyds of London and all of these other city boys. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you something about it. We won it the first year we went, and we went again for the second year, and um, the organisers came up to us and said, look, you know, 
it's a little uh, embarrassing. Would you mind not winning uh, this time round? And uh, we had to draw straws and decide who was going to uh, take a dive in the fourth round. And I think in the end it was uh, Phil who accidentally uh, missed a gate during the uh, the head to head. So we annoyed all the city boys, and then uh, we had to we had to take it on the chin and let them win. There you go. That's a that's a secret exposed by the podcast. Um, and I hope I hope if any of those people are listening now that they feel awful about the fact that they're not that good, really. All right. <laughs> um, and so, do you know what, Ian? Let's find out more about Cormier because I don't want it just to be an average resort and we're just saying based on stats. I've spoken to Martina from the Ski Guru um, and I interviewed her and she told me all about what she thought of um, uh, Cormier and then I told her why we're talking to her about it. Now, the reason we've got you on the podcast is because um, uh, we want to talk about Cormier, but we'll do that in a minute. Um, and also because, um, uh, as the name of your blog suggests, you are a ski guru and you've got a lot of knowledge. Tell us about your blog. <laughs> that's, that's marketing. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I have been in the ski industry since I remember. Actually, well, I'm 50 now. So since I was uh, 14, I started skiing, but 17, I started selling uh, ski packages at the back of a... Uh, ski shop in Buenos Aires without the legal part to do it but we sold a lot so from there on I have been most of the seasons in the mountain so yeah I pretty much talk about skiing all day long for work and then I write my blog just because I, I just like it tell me about the skiing in Kormaya well Kormaya skiing how do I tell you um, it's for peace side they have it's a small resort it's only 40 kilometers they say 100 kilometers, but 60 is off-piste. Off-piste is incredible. No? Piste is good. It's a little bit for everyone, but if you're looking for extensive coin skiing every day in a different place, don't go there. Courmayer is more like, uh, I would say, like a boutique resort, like what Portillo would be, or like um, Cerro Valle in Argentina, too, and they call it boutique resort, too. Uh, the experience of just having a little bit of skiing, very nice food here, very nice coffee there, very nice Bombardino there. So just... Take it like that. Is it the main area, which is um, full of pisted runs, and then the other areas where you can access a lot more um, interesting terrain up the Skyway. Is that correct? Yeah, well, you have from both sides. From Kurma, yeah, there's two different uh, like lift companies. So if you buy for the lift ticket for Kurmayer, if you do three or more days, three days to five, you have uh, no three and four days. You have one day that you can use to go to Skyway or you can use to uh, ski in any other area of the Austa Valley, like La Rosiera is very nearby, or Pila or Cervinha, whatever you want, no? Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's a pretty diverse resort. And in terms of the, the town itself, it's lovely. And here's the thing that I'm interested to tell you is that um, my friend um, Dave, who runs a ski company called If You Ski, he did some research for me uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, to find out um, where in the Alps was the most average ski resort. And statistically, in terms of size, um, beds and all that, Cormier actually works out as like the most the average. average ski resort. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Um, I, I've been in many resorts that I don't have the vibe of Cormier. I don't know if it's average, but the, the village is beautiful, has lots of places where to eat, lots of... Basic, basic numbers... Basic numbers yeah. may say that Cormier is the most average ski resort, but when you factor in this 
incredible terrain that you've got in terms of the, the Mont Blanc Massive, the great skiing and the, and the fantastic, vibrant town. It's anything yeah. but average. And you have heli skiing too, remember? You have heli skiing yeah. just next. Next to the Skyway, you have the, actually from the Balvenie, the parking lot, there's um, the helicopter's place uh, and you can just, you can get up only just to see the Mont Blanc if you want, if you, or if not, you go heli skiing. And I know that on the other side, in France, you're not allowed, and, and some places here, but in Chamonix, no, you have to, people come from Chamonix, people come from La Rosière to go heli skiing there. Uh-huh. Well, there you go. I, I think I'm going to have to look harder to find an average, the most average ski resort. I don't think, I don't think Cormier is is going to be what I thought it was. Yeah, but it's depending. You know, it's it like people, if you measure things by number of pieces, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I have no idea what's the average ski. We <laughs> <laughs> have the massive one, but it's just I think it's the personality of the place. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me um, about Cormier and. Um, if you want to find out more about Martina's opinion on many other ski resorts, you can go to her blog. What's the website address? It is www.the-ski-guru.com. And of course, okay. Ian will put that in the show notes for us. Thank you, Martina. Okay. Thank you, Dim. Take care. So there we go. Bye. That is all you need to know about the world's most average ski resort. I wonder what the people of uh, Cormier are going to say about that. Uh, I don't know. I mean... I mean, it's they're not, Italian, it's they're not, not a bad be fast. thing, is it? It's a really <laughs> no. nice resort. I've been to But surely it's better to be average than to be below average, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to have less than, I don't know, 16 uh, ski lifts, because um, that would be less than average, yeah. Uh, but I really think, We talk about the big resorts all the time, and they are, yeah. a, you know, way above average. And then if you just take into account all the smaller resorts, that brings the average down. So if we had got rid of like the Three Valleys um, and all these big super places, Cormier would probably be right at the top. Well, yeah, I mean, that's stats that you're talking about there. That's but, just know, that's numbers of maths. That we, um, we don't ignore the small resorts. I mean, your reviews that you've been doing, uh, you know, from the Valais of uh, you know, Saint-Luc and Val d'Oren and Anzer are all resorts that probably most, you know, listener, you may not have ever heard of those resorts. And as a consequence of of Jim visiting them, you might think, oh, that's an interesting idea, maybe I'll do Magic Parcel. I, I think we we have broad coverage. Yeah, we do mention the Three Valleys, you know, quite a lot and, and other such places, but, um, you know, I think we cover everything uh, here. Pyrenees, you know, we went to Cauteray, that's a 30 kilometer resort uh, with, I don't even know how many lifts are there, but not that many. Um, yeah, we cover, we cover it all in the Ski Podcast listener. Hopefully you agree with that. I do, I'm still hoping to get to Semen, I think it's Semenoz, which is um, just um, at the end of Lake Annecy, um, but it was closed for a while due to the lack of snow, so hopefully that'll be open and I can go there and tell you if it's any good. Yeah, and so, in the summer you can cycle up there, That's, uh, it was a stage on the Tour de France a few years ago, oh, and it's a really? very, very steep ascent to uh, Semenoz at the top. Well, um, maybe, I, I don't know where they're going this year. They're going past my house this year, that's all I know. I don't, you know, I don't know much about cycling, Ian. But that's great, they're going past your house. Get out there for the, the day, that'd be brilliant. That'd be cheering them on. Woo-hoo. I'm going to put a camper van there anyway, just to annoy someone else. Um, uh, so that was that. Um, we've got our ski book group on the go. What are we reading? We're reading Aiming High by Erna Lowe. And I think, by the sounds of it, we're going to be reviewing it in our next episode, in episode 51. 
And uh, I'm very excited because I, I interviewed uh, Mark Frary earlier this week, who's the author of that book. So we'll be able to um, to drop in, uh, you know, part of that interview, um, and maybe um, we'll have a you know a separate uh, episode uh, about it because um, he had you know his a lot to say about it, and he spent a lot of time. He spent over a year working on it on the wow. research side of things. I have to say, and the prologue is amazing. Mm. Well, actually, I'll tell you now. You're talking about that, that story. He he went into this uh, room that was shown to him when he was first given the job to you know do the research. And Erna Lowe was a bit of a hoarder. She kept all this information, but in a completely random order. And as he was going through all of this, he found a letter which was an indicator as to what you're talking about, which is an avalanche. Uh, or a, a bus went off the road on the way to uh, St Anton yeah, an yeah. and had to then go to the um, British Museum to cross-check the details to find out more about it. You know, these days, if a tour operator um, was operating a transfer or a bus and there were fatalities, you know, we wouldn't hear the light. Probably the end of the company. I mean, that kind of a tragedy like that. Whereas this was almost just a footnote. He only found out about it by chance when he was going through all the papers. Yeah, so they cover that more in the the actual story, in the actual book. Uh, it'll be mentioned again in the in the book, depending how far you've uh, got into it. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm I'm a chapter into it. I'm I keep I'm having trouble sleeping at night, and I keep falling asleep while I start reading it. And it's not a not a not a diss on the book. It's just how my life is at the moment. <laughs> I keep waking up at three and then not falling and then struggling to go back to sleep. So. Okay, so so listener, if you're suffering from insomnia, aiming high, uh, the life of ski and travel pioneer Erna Lowe is uh, is what you need to read in 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 very small chunks. And if you can do that over the next couple of weeks, and you can uh, listen to our uh, our chat. Take a year the rate I'm going. Episode fifty one. We'll call it episode fifty one, or maybe episode fifty two. Then (laughs) I might take it on the chairlift. Have you ever read a book on a chairlift, Ian? Uh, no, I can't claim that. I mean, maybe a piece map. Does that count? Nope. Um, uh, I've never done it. I'm, I'm tempted to start doing it. I want a little book, you know, so subtly do it. But I remember, I distinctly remember, there was a KP who worked for us, and I think he went on. You know, you know, it's not those people you meet in the ski industry just doing one one season. Um, he had like a golden handshake deal with Lehman Brothers or something like that, and he was he was off, and he'd like done degrees in quantum physics and he had like thick tombs that he'd sit there just casually putting stuff through the dishwasher clearly going that you know I, this isn't my career i am just doing this so i can ski yeah stuff and for, for the benefit of uh, of listeners or listener if you've not done a ski season kp kitchen porter kitchen basically porter. great Pop job to have dishwasher. possibly possibly the best job i think That's what I zero about. responsibility uh, and therefore, you don't have, you don't have to deal with the guests at all. You're normally out out the way out the back, and you can get out onto the slopes uh, really quickly because you don't have to uh, fanny around uh, making cakes or uh, doing lift mass uh, sales and things like that. Um, it's a very but good job. yeah, often uh, people like Jim uh, <laughs> in my seasons anyway. They were, you know, well brought up young men from public schools on their way to the city. But the point is, he would go literally skiing with. Like a fat hardback, no, it was snowboarding, it was snowboard, fat hardback giant book of some sort of super educational um, literature in his pocket and then just crack it out on the chairlift. Okay. There we go. Okay. 
Impressive. But again, people people do that now, but they just have a phone, don't they? And they just yeah, um, Facebook in their mates. How much they're having fun on their own on the chair Exactly, and and sharing the ski podcast with their uh, with their ski loving mates, right? I imagine that's what they probably do on the chairlift uh, now. Yeah, we'll listen to it. You know, there you go. Right. Well, um, I've run out of things on my notes, so I assume that's the end of the show, Ian. Um, it was, must be the end of the show. I was going to say, Ian. Um, I mean, last week was the first time I think, or the week before, we recorded it um, live. Actually, um, uh, as in, we video record this as well. Um, and I was going to say, if anyone actually would like to watch it, let us know, and we'll consider it. We're not sure if it's a. Uh, if you if you want to see my um, old man teeth um, and Ian's um, luxury apartment with nice selection of maybe I should change my background before we do that. Just a corner of a room with a curtain. Some... I have got uh, behind me a Sham Jam uh, poster from two thousand and two. If anyone um, you know, can remember that far back and that particular event. So if you do think you'd like to watch us actually record it, then you know let us know and we might do that. Uh, we'd need at least. 10% of listeners to say that they'd like to do it. Yeah, well, I think we've both got faces for audio. Uh, That's right, yeah. And my hair. I'm trying not to get it cut. Until I go back to the UK in two weeks' time. Two weeks' time? Does that mean that we will be recording in the UK in two weeks' time? Don't know. <laughs> Don't know. Uh, okay, well, we'll, we'll sort out those days. Yeah, there's a chance that uh, we might be. The day yeah, after my but, birthday, I'll be there. Okay. Well, in between times, I will have uh, been out to uh, uh, Switzerland, so um, I'll be uh, I'll be reporting on that and hopefully some amazing snow. That's what I'm uh, hoping for. Fingers crossed for it. Um, I am childishly decided that um, uh, I want to start working on doing some tricks. At the age of 39... Um, yeah, I'm going to be 39. I'm going to start seeing if I can slide on rails and do 360s on skis. Just make sure you wear lots of protection. Yep, that's that's a good advice, Ian. I'll uh, stick some cushions in me. Yeah. All right, good to speak to you, Jim. You too. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, thanks to Switzerland Tourism. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.